today's episode of Still to be Determined, we're going to be talking about how it really is the motion of the ocean. Hi, everybody. <laughs> As usual, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids, including my most recently released The Sinister Secrets of Singe, which is out in bookstores now. And I'm also just generally curious about technology. If you've read any of my books, you know that I like the tech, especially the steampunky how does it work tech? We're not quite sure. It seems like magic, but it's actually sci-fi. Trust me on that. And luckily for me, my brother is that Matt of Undecided with Matt Farrell. And of course, his take on tech is how it impacts our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm if you can see my my background's a little different because I'm in the new house. This is not the final setup for my studio, but I kind of slapdash pulled this together as quickly as I could so I could do the podcast and start recording new new episodes. But this will be changing slowly over time. Yes, it's really kind of funny to me that you're like, it's slapdash. It looks like a polished studio. <laughs> it's, it's getting You've moved into a it's new home. There. So it looks like it looks very, very nice. And for our regular viewers who are looking at Matt's background and saying, well, that's new. You might also be saying, hey, Sean's background is also new. I am not in a yeah. new studio. I am in my son's room. And whereas Matt is like, hey, I'm still putting things together. I'm like, <laughs> my heart is broken because the reason I'm in my son's room is because my son has gone to college. So he's in college. He's in college now, which means I am an old man. Before Big we get into campus. today's discussion, that's right. It's well, I hope he is. It's transitions are difficult <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. Some more than others. Uh, it's a rough one all around. Um, before we get into today's discussion, though, I wanted to share a comment from a previous episode in which we talked about Matt's discussion with Paul Gradle, and we shared that discussion in its entirety. And there was a comment from Hugh5116 who commented, basically to summarize Hugh's comment, questions about speed of development in 3d printing versus traditional forms of development of new parts. He was under the impression that it would take longer to do things in a pre 3d printing format, as opposed to traditional manufacturing formats. I was asked, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because there, I think there are two sides to this. I assume that there's the research mm -hmm. component and then there's the final development component. And I think it may be important to divide those two things because my understanding from your discussion with Paul was the 3D printing greatly accelerates the research component. And then the final product, the final production of parts to be used could in fact just be traditional manufacturing. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sort of. One one point Paul brought it up to me in our conversation, but I've also like we've been pulling together a full undecided episode around this similar topic. And so all the people I've been talking to beyond Paul, they keep saying the same thing, which is 3D printing does or additive manufacturing does accelerate the process, especially for prototyping, because for prototyping, you have an idea. What do we do? You go into CAD, you design it, you can print it out, you can kind of see it, use it, see if it actually functions the way you didn't, the way you expected. If it didn't, iterate, print a new one, off, off again. It really streamlines the time. Uh, because when you're hand crafting something, it takes months. Like you're talking about a rocket engine, 
months and months and months and months to handcraft it where you might streamline streamline that down to three to four months from six to nine months so you're saving a lot of time when you get to the point of final manufacturing additive manufacturing can still be a major component of that but you have to use it judici judiciously because there are certain things that you might do that old-fashioned techniques are actually faster so like once you know this is the, this is the widget that we're making well, we can actually make this section of the widget half the cost, half the time versus additive manufacturing just by doing this old technique over here, and we can pump that out really quick. But then this other part, we still 3D print because it's doing things that aren't really possible any other way. So it's like you, when you get to the final stages, you're going to be tweaking what you're printing and what you're not, um, if that makes sense. So it does, it does absolutely accelerate the time frame. But it's not like additive manufacturing is like this cure-all speeds up everything up across the board. Because one of the things that also happens when you add, create, you print something, you have to sometimes polish it. You have to finish it out. So there's processes that you have to do. Like there's binders that are used in the material. So sometimes you have to like bake those off or cook those off or do processes to remove the binding material to leave just the metals and the things behind. So there's these processes that happen after you've printed it and those can take weeks if not months to even polish that out but we're talking about like specifically for rocket engines <laughs> it's even if you're doing additive manufacturing it might take six months to get something put together but handcrafting might be a year or nine months so it's like it it does speed it up but it's not a cure-all for everything right that all makes sense and it's so it's not about undermining and removing the tool and die shop from the entire no. process it's as you mentioned it's additive so it's putting that on top of it not just replacing yep. it right so thank you hugh for that comment it was uh it caught my eye and i appreciate you weighing in i also wanted to share for some other commenters who were confused about some of the discussion it seems as if some people were weighing in saying what rocket stuff are you talking about? Did I miss an episode? And I think it's possible. And listeners, viewers, you can jump into the comments and let me know if this is true for you. Some people may be jumping into this stream without realizing Matt's got undecided with Matt Farrell, which if you yeah. look for that, <laughs> that's the starting point for a lot of these discussions. So I think some people were jumping into our long discussion, your long discussion with Mr. Gradle without realizing that it was part of a previous video from Undecided with Matt Farrell. And so we're always happy it, to point you back there. It's it's also to keep in mind this one I kind of did in reverse order. We released the podcast first. Release dates were wrong? Not wrong, but we had to reverse them because of my move and the way things were working. It made sense right. to do it this way, but it, it did kind of like drop people into the deep end of the pool <laughs> in this conversation. And then there's going right. to be a video coming up in a couple of weeks where uh, it goes in depth into the specific engine that Paul worked on, where this is all part of that. So it, the filling in the blanks is that coming, does explain should, a lot of the confusion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. My, my bad. So, yeah, <laughs> well. I mean, life happens. We've currently, Matt and I are right now recording this episode as part of a batch of episodes. So we're going to be recording. We're basically recovering from life at this point. Yeah. Both yep. of us had events that took place at the end of August that just kept knocking episodes off our calendar. And that happens. And it's also the time of year, I think, where everybody's off doing their own things anyway. So 
it's probably yep. understandable that you and I are both kind of scrambling and saying like, how do we life now? Um, <laughs> onto Matt's most recent episode though, not the most recent, let me correct myself onto a recent episode from Matt's main channel, which is his episode, how wave power could be the future of energy. This dropped on August 15th, 2023. And it was an interesting discussion around uh, it's one of those uh, it's been in front of you the whole time videos. Mm -hmm. Most of this planet is covered by water. And yet yep. it's only now that people are saying, hey, you know what? Maybe <laughs> we might be able to use that. <laughs> Maybe. And it's really quite interesting to talk about. I, and I say that flippantly it's not true people have been using water for energy production for a long time water wheels exist you know these these methods of converting water into energy are very old uh in fact probably some of them like water wheels are probably older than things like windmills where it's mm -hmm. you know the development of well if we use this thing that's moving it would probably help us out and i think that you know the facts being what they are, the obviousness of water is denser than air, therefore more energy right in hand, the kinetic mm -hmm. energy of that water hitting the wheel or hitting that device that's, that's capturing the wave energy. It doesn't take a lot of scientific knowledge to say, oh, I can understand what's happening here. That's, that's great. Yeah. It's about the efficiency though, which seems to be the main focal point. And there was a lot of discussion in the comments about that. One of the commenters jumped in with this to say, this is from Starfiend, who jumped in to say there have been wave power research plants in the Shetlands and Orkneys North of Scotland for over 20 years. Now I vaguely remember something from the early to mid nineties where someone showed off technology at the time. What was interesting about it was the technology actually dissipated some of the wave power. So the waves reaching the shore were less powerful and damaging than they had been before. Did you huh. see anything in your research about this as far as mitigating water issues for coastlines and that being a huge issue for us as climate change is running rampant and we are seeing an increase. We just had some storms come through Florida those storms are going to become more frequent. The water temperatures in Florida are feeding those storms so that we're going to get more and more of that. Has there been any discussion around incorporating those things that are maybe mitigating wave impact with energy production? That's interesting because when we put this video together, that didn't come up at all. But this is not the first time I've had a video on this kind of thing. I did a video in about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago on tidal energy, which is using rivers and like inlets and things like that. When we did the research on that one, we did come across stuff like this where, you know, you build levees and things like that to help break the, the waves that are hitting the shores to protect the, the coastlines. And that's kind of, you can build systems like this as part of that levee system to help break, not break down the waves, but also to capture that energy but it's still incredibly early days from all the stuff I've seen. Um, uh, based on the commenter, it sounds like there's already something like this that's actually in the works that I was not aware of. So I would have to look into that, but it makes a lot of sense that you could use systems like this to actually help with the coastlines. 
Yeah, I think the commenter was pointing out that it was an unexpected byproduct as opposed to yeah. part of the incorporated research. So it'd be interesting to see if anybody is picking up that side of it to say coastlines. That's a huge part of what's going on here in New York City. They are talking about building uh, water barriers in various parts of New York City where they know are the floodplains and lower mm -hmm. Manhattan is going to end up with a very tall water barricade around certain aspects, which the New York times very strangely took the view of like, Oh, it's obstructing our view. And that's unfortunate. Like mm, you're kind of missing the point, but, uh, <laughs> that kind of, that kind of protective barrier is one thing, but if you could do something actually in the water to actually remove some of the impact of incoming waves, even on just a sunny day, that could be an interesting byproduct. The, the two birds, one stone aspect of it is very appealing. That's that's yeah. very clever. There was this comment from Rob is quick who wrote, I have never seen a project with a specific simulation that has produced such a wide array of solutions and mechanical styles. I suppose the unpredictability of waves were involved with that and the salt water makes this much more challenging, but this is very mind blowing. It seems like in the video, every time you show a different device built to do the same thing, it's a little bit like yep. looking at, if you remember in the movie airplane, when the pilot has his flashbacks to all the different airplanes that <laughs> are involved in crashes and they start yep. becoming more and more ridiculous, including the car with the giant umbrella top and a plane that has 12 levels of wing and the myriad of, of shapes of these things. Yeah. It really is. Nobody has landed on the best and most efficient version of this yet. Is there yep. any indication in the research that you've seen that there is one style that seems to be taking a lead or is it still too early days? It's still too early days. Um, from the stuff we were saying, we scratched the surface on this video for the number of designs. There are some designs that we came across that are just bananas. Like you look at it and like, okay, that in theory looks like that would work, but wow, that's like a Rube Goldberg overcomplicated insane, like that you said the umbrella on the, the car thing. It's like, that's not gonna fly. There's literally. a whole bunch of those we came across. Yeah, literally. So you're talking about dozens and dozens of different designs and approaches uh the ones that we highlighted in the video are the ones that do seem to be the ones that have the cleanest path forward because they're so ultimately simple it's like there's it's really just kind of like well it just kind of floats there and there's really not that much to it that's actually happening that could seems could, could go wrong those are the ones that we kind of focused on um not that we're advocating or saying this company's going to win and that one's going to lose it's just like it's so early days. Uh, the biggest problem is the sea is an unforgiving place. So even these designs that seem, <laughs> oh, this seems like a promising the, solution. You sound like an old salty sea dog. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the sea is an unforgiving mistress. We be it, trying it's to those... capture wave energy here, but the sea, <laughs> but the sea, she loves me not. Me not. <laughs> I've got kilowatts and amps and she's oh got my, my God. brine. <laughs> that, that, 
that's our YouTube short right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. There we go. Tune in. Yep. Tune in next week, folks. <laughs> well, you, you make a joke about it, but that's that's the serious truth of it. It's yeah. like barnacles growing the wear on and it. tear on these things. Sea creatures. Yeah. The wear and tear is going to be brutal. So it's like whatever. Yeah. We, we Nobody knows what design is going to stand up to that the best yeah. yet. Um, so there's a lot of testing that has to be done. And are these anchored devices or are they free floating? The, the, almost all the ones that we came across were anchored in some fashion. They kind of have to be anchored because you have to get the power for them. So they're power cables and things that would be like anchored to the bottom of the, the ocean and then run into shore. So yeah, yeah. They're almost Cause all I could anchored. imagine the impact of a major storm coming through and the waves would actually become even higher than normal. You would have to then build these things to be able to rapidly become submerged and be under the strain Yep. of intense water forces as major waves are going over them. So like the design aspects of this are in some ways, it starts to sound like it would be easier to go to space than it would be yes. to anchor <laughs> yes. one of these things to the ocean floor. Yeah. Well, the ocean is like the new frontier. It's like, we know very little about the bottom of the ocean and stuff like that. So it's, it's, this is kind of, we're going into new territory yeah. now. And the reality of the impact of, of, the forces in the ocean were in the news just a few months ago with the submersible that went down stupidly to go look for the Titanic and imploded. Yeah. And the reality being that was not doing anything even close to the wear and tear of the devices that Matt and I are talking about right now. That was literally just a small sub. So a yeah. small sub goes down and implodes and we can go, you know, we're not going to go over the details of the misguided thinking that went into creating that submersible and their attempts to do what they were doing. But that wasn't trying to do anything like capture wave energy in rough seas, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all season long during rough storms. It wasn't, it was trying to do it under best conditions. So that kind yeah. of difficulty is in place for these companies that are trying to do this new research. In the same vein as the as what we just talked about, there was this comment from Boxless Thinker in 1973, who I'm beginning to wonder might be our mother. They write, I love the variety of solutions shown in the video. Reminds me of the glory days of the automotive and aviation development, allowing non-scientists to see lots of creative solutions and predict the winners, kind of like season one of BattleBots. It's the reference to BattleBots <laughs> that makes me wonder if this is, in yeah. fact, mom. Hi, mom. If yes. you're listening. <laughs> that is very that is a very mom kind of comment and for those of you who don't yes. know our mom loves bad b sci-fi movies and shows like BattleBots. Uh, yes probably She's... explains a lot <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody was at home scratching their head saying like why are these two nerds talking about nerd stuff well <laughs> yes. there's there a little window into our childhood finally there was this comment from lorgs one who wrote I just finished my degree in naval engineering, where we actually did some research and testing of wave, wave generators. The elephant in the room of any energy harvesting is the efficiency, and we struggle to get even 1% efficiency, meaning Ooh. that when a wave passes, we extract 1% of its energy. If you were to have 100% of efficiency, then there wouldn't be any waves behind the device at all which is speculated to be impossible, just like the wind turbine problem of 100% efficiency being physically impossible. But the energy density of waves is so huge so that we'd be happy to see just 5% efficiency. The best option yeah. we saw for minimizing cost was to keep all facilities adjacent to land, so only the kinetic part was in water and generators on land. 
means that pretty much all maintenance is reduced and can be done from land, also reducing the cost by insane amounts. This really, this comment was very helpful to me in yeah. conceptualizing some of the numbers earlier in your video in which you talk about the energy density of the various forms. And you mentioned energy density in wind is something like the kilowatts available is like 10% of what, of what water was a wave. Yep. But as this commenter Lorgs is pointing out, they're pointing out that we can't capture hundred percent of that. So if we capture 5%, it would put the water efficiency somewhere between solar and wind. And that right. really did sort of like, okay, that's the sweet spot. If they can get just 5%, if they can get more than that, fantastic. But just 5%, you see a pretty sweet market right between the two already big players in sustainable energy production. So that was a very helpful comment. Lorgs, thank you for that. Anything to add this, to that, this, Matt? This also, to me, highlights the, the reason I always bring up, I call um, the efficiency argument a red herring most of the time. Because mm. a lot of people get glommed onto that one number in isolation. Oh, batteries are 95% efficient and this thing's only 70% efficient, so it's garbage. So it's like you can't get glommed onto that one number. You have to look at it in the holistic view of the whole widget, not just this, that one particular element. And so the right. point here is like if you were hitting somewhere between 1% and 5% efficiency of the energy you're capturing, you'd be like, oh, that's horrible. Like with solar, I get, you know, 26%. It's like, yeah, but the energy density is so high the amount of electricity you're actually getting out of the process is on par with that. So it's like, yeah. why does the efficiency number matter? So it really comes down to the whole thing. Like, what does it cost? What is it? How, how much energy is it actually generating? Those are the things that you kind of have to look at and not get glommed in onto this one number of efficiency. That's only one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. It's also an element that plays into really understanding the difference between science and marketing yeah. and science and PR <laughs> yeah. and science and mainstream media and science and all media and conversation. Scientists yeah. love data and scientists will parse the data and figure out different ways of conceptualizing data and saying, oh, it's like time over mass or time over distance or time over volume or time. Like they'll come up with every possible permutation. And those are just calculations. That's just scientists loving the data and mashing the data into different ways of conceptualizing it. And then somewhere yeah. a marketing person picks that up, doesn't understand, oh, 5% efficiency here equals 95% efficiency over there and simply says 95% is a bigger number. That's better. So well, this is one of those moments where yeah, the scientists aren't putting these kinds of valuations onto things. It's us in the public who are misinterpreting yeah. or misrepresenting the data that they're providing us. Yeah, I agree. Thank you everybody for your comments. As always, they've been a big part of pushing the conversation here. So please jump into the comments here or jump into the comments on Matt's previous episodes on undecided with Matt Farrell, which is of course the mothership. We always go back there. And also you can jump into comments on our previous videos. We've, we are building a practice of not just talking about a video once we're trying to go back and re-examine them as we move forward. 
If you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it was you found this, go back there, leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and please do share it with your friends. That really does help support the channel. And if you'd like to directly support us, you can click join on YouTube or go to stilltbd.fm and click the become a supporter button there. It allows you to throw some quarters at our heads, believe it or not, the welts are something we both enjoy. And then we get sit down and make the show for you. All of these are great ways to help support the channels. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening or watching, and we'll talk to you next time.